Prepare thine ears, prepare thine bum. For the things we think about podcast has come. Now for your hosts, Kenny and Aaron. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Things We Think About podcasts with me, Aaron, and Kenny. All right. So, yeah, we uh, we have been friends for I long as since I can remember grade school sometime in grade school. Um, you know, we're both from the same town, Nowhere's Town in Jonesville, Michigan. Uh, you know, pretty small, conservative, white town, lots of farmers, lots of, uh, at the time, lots of kids, but now it's mostly just the farmers. Um, and yeah, we just kind of, we uh, started playing music together around 16, I think it was like freshman year, high school. And, uh, you know, after that, we, we, we worked the same job together for a while too. Um, and then I'm trying to remember, I think, yeah, we've just kind of been in touch ever since we've been buds ever since. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even though we, uh, separated by such a wide geographic margin, you being in Florida and me being in Michigan, you know, we still stay, you know, we still communicate pretty regularly and, you know, we have a lot of the same interests, but a lot of differing opinions which is uh, something that I think will play out nicely in this podcast. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that part interests me a great deal because, um, you know, we we do have this great overlap and, um, you know, with personality and, and interests, but uh, some of the things uh, hopefully we will find out <laughs> in the upcoming episodes that we vehemently disagree with. But I think I couldn't do something like this if we disagreed so much um, I think both of us have a knack for being amenable and like open-minded and things like that. So, um, you know, hopefully I hope to maybe, maybe this can model a little bit of like good, uh, what good debate or good disagreement looks like. Cause I feel like that's kind of missing, uh, in a lot of venues. So. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's all about conversation and having an open discourse for sure. And, you know, one of the things, you know, in our, our conversations previous, um, you know, you, you've, you've sort of alluded to the fact that, uh, I sort of think of things or state things in black and white terms. And, you know, I definitely have a tendency to do that. It sort of helps me put things in boxes as I think about them. Right. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, I, I don't like when arguments become overly gray. So, you know, I'll try to challenge you to, uh, think of specific instances where, you know, I'll try to force you to make a black and white opinion or decision on something where maybe you can help gray out some of my black and white thoughts. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, uh, certainly I, I do tend to live in the gray and I believe concrete examples are definitely necessary. You can't just, you know, go by anecdotes and zeitgeist feelings and things like that. Um, you know, there has to be some empirical claim that you have to you make so um for sure right and most of these topics that we'll be covering are you know they're sort of like a digital image right if you if you zoom all the way out you see the full picture and all these colors but if you zoom in too far you just get that one pixel that one color you know maybe that looks like gray but if you zoom out you know you can start to see big picture and sort of start to make more generalized statements yeah for sure yeah, I mean, because people, I think that's a big issue with general discourse is, um, 
you know, people just kind of state what they feel and let it lie, lay there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I have a tendency not to let things lay around. Um, so I'm, I'm in school right now to become a mental health counselor. And a lot of that work has been trying to dissect conversation and, um, you know, have people engage in a way that's a little more emotion, uh, a little more, basically you're trying to convince somebody to change their own mind in a way. Uh, which if it sounds, if that sounds like manipulation, it's, it is, it, it's been known to be a type of, of that, um, obviously uh -huh. not, not in a coercive way, but in a way that, uh, opens somebody's mind enough to get them to change something ab mm -hmm. about themselves. So, and I think, um, I think uh, I remember, uh, my first year here, um, I had this great English professor, my first class, uh, here at uh, Rollins college. I should mention uh, here in Winter Park, Florida. Um, she basically opened the class by saying everything is an argument. Everybody, anything that anybody says is an argument, which I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And I feel the longer I'm on the earth, though, the more I feel that's more or less the truth. That every most, even if it's innocuous things or people don't think about it, it's, you know, you're trying to make the case for something somehow. You know, whether it's how you're feeling, um, whether it's, uh, you know, political, whether whatever, you know, it's you're trying to make the case. Yeah, I agree. We absolutely do that. And, uh, you know, my wife being a mental health counselor as well, you know, I'm pretty keen on the inception tactics <laughs> that therapists use. I mean, they're healthy. They're they're well intentioned. Yeah. So and she doesn't do that on on me. I don't think too often. Well, you don't but. think. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the point, right? You're not supposed to know. <laughs> yeah. If we're doing our job well, like you'll, the whole goal is that we'll get fired. And the other way you'll know we're doing our job well is if like, you know, you, you just feel better and you don't really know what happened, I guess. Um, so to a yeah. certain degree, at least. Yeah, I suppose that's true. So right, well, with all that... Having been said, uh, are there any topics you want to launch into first? Um, well, I was thinking about this over the week and, uh, you know, about who we are and kind of our DNA. And because, you know, you're in Michigan still and I'm in Orlando. And um, I, I, when I, I moved to Orlando about 2011, and a lot of the reason that was because I wanted a change. I wanted a big change because I was thinking about moving to Kalamazoo, which is another fairly large city in Michigan, pretty diverse population. Not super big, but, you know, um, fairly big. But Orlando is like a whole different planet, it almost seemed like, when I first got here. And um, now that I've been here, it's been here, what, damn, been eight years, about eight years. Um, and then when I, whenever I go home to Michigan, I just feel like, it's such a shift, you know, to go from the city to the small town. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you have noticed that in me or if you have any commentary about, uh, those types, that type of way of life. Cause you're kind of in the, you're in the heartland, you know, you're conservative country, um, flyover area sort of place. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I knew where I was going with that, but that's just that that I see as a dynamic, I guess, in our relationship and how we view things a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I haven't noticed the big difference in you, uh, other than uh you know, some of the things that you've said along these lines where 
you know, you feel not so much a culture shock, but, you know, you no longer sort of feel at home mm -hmm. in the area you grew up. And I totally, absolutely understand that, um, you know, the lifestyle is absolutely different. Um, I actually live in a bigger town now, uh, Jackson, Michigan, which is, you know, it's got a lot of the rural suburban feel, but, um, you know, it has sort of a bustling inner city too. So, um, I get a little of both worlds, but yeah, going back to Jonesville where we grew up, I, I also feel, you know, disconnected and disengaged, you know, nothing, uh, you know, there are a lot of good memories there, but it just doesn't seem to, um, have any impact on, you know, my future self as I see it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it's, it's weird to look back and, and think uh, how there was a time when it did, it had a huge impact on your, at least for me, you know, I thought my future was going to be there. I didn't really think that I had a reason to move. Um, you know, I kind of grew up, uh, and we both grew up, uh, more or less, you know, in the church, uh, Protestant, non-denominational or, or other types of denominations that are, you know, somewhat similar. Um, and, you know, for me, at least it was like, I, probably at around 18 or actually no, it was before that around 16, maybe 17 ish. I thought, Hey, I'll just try to get a wife and work at a factory and, um, that'll be okay. You know, I saw it replicated a lot and I don't know something along the line changed. Maybe it was the music we were making and just other friends. Um, but you know, something inside me was stirring that I knew that may not be enough. And, uh, it turns out it wasn't enough. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess just going back to the, to what you were saying about, you know, thinking about the future, um, there's definitely no, it's hard to imagine any, any type of future in Jonesville. Um, you know, and I bet, I'm wondering, I bet a lot of people feel that way. And I've always wondered like people in larger cities, if they feel that way, even if it's a, you know, like if they're in New York or whatever, they just kind of get to this point where they feel like the city and themselves are, are separate entities, you know, like they can't, they can no longer coexist. Um, that's always mm. something that's really fascinated me. I know we have a mutual friend who, um, skips around to different cities for work. And, um, the part of me is always really jealous of that because, um, it takes a lot of courage, but it also, you know, gives you a lot of, you know, different perspective on depending on where you land. Yeah, it definitely would. And, you know, I think, I think your sort of change of heart or your, your chosen path sort of mirrors kind of what's happening in society at large a little bit. Um, you know, people are subscribing a little bit less to that, that old American dream, you know, buy a house, get a wife, have some kids, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's the path that I chose and I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if my life really could have developed any differently than it did. Um, you know, my reasons for seeking it out in my early adulthood are different than the reasons I would choose it now, but I would still choose it again nonetheless. Mm. Um, well, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, um, cause I know, yeah, that, that, uh, that was always interesting. Like, uh, just to see from afar and to, to view, cause I've certainly had, a, I've had choices that I could have, have had that. And, and, uh, for whatever reason, things didn't work out like that. And, um, 
it's, you know, sometimes I, I don't know if, I don't think I necessarily regret, you know, making the choices I made, but I always wonder what, you know, Aaron in an alternate universe is, is doing right now. He's, you know, <laughs> sitting on Ikea furniture and he's got a 56 inch plasma or whatever OLED uh, <laughs> display and he's uh, ignoring his wife somewhere. Um, <laughs> Every scenario I'm ignoring the one that cares the most about me. So that probably yeah. tells you something, I guess. Well, no, but again, I, I think, you know, so again, your choices mirror society at large. So if we look at our core group of friends that we associated with in high school and after, um, you know, the majority, I would say, uh, sort of made choices similar to yours versus choices like mine. You know, I, I think maybe two out of our, uh, I don't know, eight or so core group of friends, uh, only two of them got married and had kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is just quick mental math, but, you know, so the majority still are sort of choosing to go their own way and make their own own path, you know, not, not codependent on any other variable. Yeah, that's true. You know, and one thing um, I'll say too is that I feel like we were very lucky in the sense that we... So most I'm finding, especially with people I talk to here, um, and I think in cities in general and more affluent places, you'll find most uh, people will go to college right after um, high school, so 18. Um, mm-hmm. They'll just go right to college and skip any type of working thing or any anything like that, working experience. And we all had, you know, Joe Schmo jobs. Like we were all working at restaurants or something like that, and... You know, we uh, we didn't, pers- at least for me personally, I know I didn't pursue higher ed um, until I think I was 22 or 23. So we had a lot of years where um, we just got to live with each other and play or play music together or just have parties together and things like that. And, and I look at that very much as something that I um, really uh, look fondly on and think it was very good for our development. Um, especially when you realize how many of those, and I've heard it again and again and again, how many students in class say, you know, oh, I just picked a major and I did this and because I had to get a degree and, and here I am now and it's four years later and I guess I got to get a job now, you know? So I'm really grateful for that experience. I don't know how you feel about it, but. Yeah. You know, I would say a huge kudos for waiting, you know, you know, regardless of what your reasons for waiting were, I think it still is best um, in the end because, you know, going to college right out of high school, you don't know who you are. You don't know what you want to do. Uh, so it's you're likely throwing away a lot of time and money, you know, especially if you major in, you know, something bullshit, you, mm-hmm. you know, where, where it's just not a lucrative degree. You know, it costs the same several thousands of dollars that, you know, a real degree would cost, um, you know, it's just better to wait till you know yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I would have majored in something different, something useful. You know, I was a business major. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like I got, you know, I, I got some value out of it, but not what I was paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause you went to, uh, well, I can't remember your journey exactly. It was a little different. 
Because for me, it was I went to Jackson Community College, now Jackson University, uh, whatever that means. And it uh, it took a while because I was paying out of pocket, but I got my associates there. It was as a general associates. Then here at Rollins College, I did undergrad and got psych. I was a psych major and music minor, and now I'm in the graduate school. Um, remind me how yours went, because I know you had kind of secured this route. Um, yeah, so I, a couple years at a liberal arts college. Uh, took about a year off and then finished up at uh, Spring Arbor University, a four-year business program. Um, and then after that, you know, some, uh, you know, lots of continued education, lots of uh, classes and things in subjects that I wish I had taken in the first time, you know, more STEM focus. Um, you know, so the actual bachelor's degree I don't think is that that useful. It's not one that, uh, you know, is required for any job that I know of yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah. I was literally in a class last week where somebody called the toilet paper. We were, we were in a career, it's a career class. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's a, uh, that's a bit harsh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I yeah. go that, I would say that it's, it's at least, it's a, just a high school diploma now. That's really all it is. And a high school diploma is, I don't even know. Um, you know, well, it is, but in, I mean, unless you're something like a, a STEM field or, uh, yeah, you know, if you're going to be a teacher or you're going to med school or something like that. Um, but you know, a lot of people now are, they're majoring in gender studies or lesbian dance therapy, you know, like <laughs> these, I these know people need to this. know who they are. <laughs> Come on. You, you've heard the stories. And then, you know, people get these degrees in these, these BS studies and then, you know, they moan and cry because they're in debt and they can't find a job. You know, you know, I was sort of in that boat there for a minute. Um, so I can, I can sympathize, but yeah. 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 I mean, I think some of them know that their degrees are BS and they're just trying to do something they like or, you know, because they need their parents just need to see that they have a bachelor's. I think most, mostly employers just need to see that you have some education. I don't even think they actually care what it is. It's nice if it's in the field, of course, but, um, and yeah, I guess I always forget about the STEM stuff. Um, you know, I mean, if you, if you want to work in a lab, you have to have probably have to have, uh, majored in biology or something like mm -hmm. that and, and had internships somewhere or did some kind of research. So which is, yeah, more involved. Yeah. So, I mean, the value that I, I think I did, or most people do get out of a basic four-year degree of any kind, are sort of the, you know, I'd say like um, you become a better writer, a better speaker, uh, you know, better in certain social situations. Um, it does mature you in some ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's like I look high at school. Mm-hmm. Continuation of no, that's that's all. I was just gonna say, I, I almost look at it, and I've uh, I feel like this is true. The more I go on, and um, it's really just a degree in time management. I mean, that's every degree. That's the most one of the most important things, if not the most important things. It's it's time management and the ability to do something uh, to a deadline and to some some exacting standard because. Uh, at least so far in my experience in the real world, um, whatever that means, um, it, you know, that's kind of what you need to do in most jobs. I mean, obviously the higher you go, 
the more critical thinking you'll need, the more originality or creativity you'll need. Um, and but I think when you get to that point, that's going to require a higher degree anyway. That would that would have coursework that molds that more so than just the bachelor's. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe. But it it sucks because it seems like, and maybe I don't. Know, I'm I'm not really versed on educational history, but it seems like bachelors used to do more of the critical thinking stuff. They used to do more. Uh, you could do more with it. Um, or it was, it was much easier to kind of climb different places without, uh, extra degrees, but, um, I don't know. I mean, that's probably always been the case. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but it's so, you know, sort of segueing a little bit, you know, you mentioned that, that, uh, we both grew up in, you know, in, in Christian ish households and, mm-hmm. and we're Christian in our our ideology um but you know so we should mention that we both walked away from that uh for you know a sea of reasons mm-hmm. um so you know loosely i think you call both of us atheists at this point um you know although definitely looking for lots of discussion on that both on those points um but uh, you know sort of as an introductory thing i'd also like to touch on what our political ideologies are because that's that's kind of where one big place where we differ pretty greatly Mm -hmm. Uh, so so why don't you go first just talk a little bit about where you stand yeah i mean um i think you nailed it it's interesting too because i think we kind of lost our faith near the same time um there's this big uh push uh not well not a push it's more and definitely not a revolution it was somewhere in between those two um where you'd see a lot of like debates and things on YouTube and just the internet in general, not even just YouTube, but um, just the ability to search uh, for something's accuracy for the first time. This is probably around, I want to say 2009, 2008-ish area. Um, And, you know, some of the old arguments that I've always heard growing up about, you know, God and Jesus, the Trinity and all these other things, the historicity of it um, just started to fall apart. And seeing debates and seeing people uh, and not being fulfilled by some of the answers of of the debates, you know, from the, you know, uh, Hitchens, Dawkins, those kind of guys. So that was a big part of it. And then then just really diving into evolutionary theory and and how that came about. Um, So that's a a big part of why it's really hard for me to to, you know, ascribe to that faith. And uh, there's a lot who would claim that I never was a part of it, of course, but uh, that's another story. Um, as far as, yeah, and, and these days, um, you know, and yeah, you're, we can go into in more depth in other episodes, I'm sure. But uh, these days, I'd say for the binary atheistic, theistic, it's atheistic. Uh, I'd say, um, you know, I, could, I have no issue with the agnostic label too, because ultimately I don't really know. Um, if something could exist, some higher power, something could exist. That's fine if we discover it. It's fine if we don't. It's kind of, you know, our life goes on either way. And uh, as far as belief system, and this is where I think everybody gets confused, um, or it can be confusing. So belief, I'm more in the secular humanist camp, um, just humanism in general. Um, so just being a good person, the golden rule, Um you know, morals, ethics are really important. Logic, reason are really important. And um, so, yeah, as far as politically, um, that one's tough. That one's hard for me because 
Um, I feel like the cent- I definitely have always tried to be a centrist to some degree, probably left leaning. Um, you know, I, I have different views on things like when it comes to guns, I'm more to the right. When it comes to abortion, I'm more to the left for kind of broad strokes purposes. Philosophically, though, I think it's kind of more more to again to the humanism, more to I'm really a fan of stoicism um, camp. So. Yeah, I'm trying to think, but definitely I would say 2008's version of centrism before, before I feel like politics kind of just, I just feel like it's this blobby supernova, uh, you know, inflated thing. And, and I guess, I don't know, I I feel like everybody's in the game now for if they don't necessarily want to be, but every, and maybe it's just a product of me being older and realizing it, but Everybody and everything seems to have some political charge, and um, that in general bothers me. So if there's a political, uh, you know, motif for that, then that's I'm definitely ascribed to it. So sort of like a political nihilism to some degree. Well, you touched on something that's really important, actually. Um, you know, you you sort of mentioned how you used to think of yourself sort of as this central leftist, but you know the the wider ideas in the media and society seem to have changed, which sort of shifted you without you really changing yourself. Um, yeah, I think they call that the, the Overton window where you have mm-hmm. this, this range of ideas, you know, from left to right, it's the, the things that people are talking about. And so what I think has been happening is it seems like the media and, you know, certain public figures in general are shifting this Overton window farther and farther to the left which causes people like you and me to find ourselves farther and farther on the right, not because we moved, but because this, this window of, you know, how things are discussed has shifted and mm-hmm. become more polarized too. You know, you, you sort of mentioned that. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. As far as myself, I think I found myself, um, you know, confused, confusedly shift, shifted by this Overton window as well. Um, but then also I've changed over the years as well. I I used to pretty, you know, center left to left, pretty what I would have called progressive on most ideas. Um, but you know, the more I, the more I cared, and the more I really sort of, uh, you know, I guess sort of when I started to vote right for the first time is when I started to um, put my my trust in certain people, and then continually be let down, felt lied to. You know, just started to see, you know, sort of how the workings of government just don't work. Um, and a lot mm. of the, you know, the shortcomings of our, our systems, um, broadly speaking, you know, so I've sort of found myself shifting more and more toward the libertarian, uh, camp, um, not necessarily farther to the right on most issues, but just, you know, more about personal freedom and personal responsibility and, you know, sort of removing whatever government or authority barriers we have, you know, I, for most uh, normal law-abiding people, you know, government doesn't need to be in our lives. I, I sort of feel smothered in a sense by some, uh, some workings of government, but mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, that's going to give us a lot of things to talk about. You know, I find myself more on the libertarian side. You find yourself maybe a little bit more center left without a label, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty accurate. And yeah. And it's, um, yeah. Cause I'd say in general, I believe that, uh, 
it's interesting too because I, I'm definitely all I, I don't think anybody's for less freedom in general but I think the real argument is in how we get there right how do how not for me for me it's not just how we get there is how do we how do we scale it and maximize it because that that presents issues because you as an individual I have no doubt especially because I'm your friend um, have known you forever but uh, that you uh, would do just fine without with with all with all the governmental restrictions that you feel are thrust upon you, you know, uh, released from. But uh, I don't know if I can. It, it's harder to say that in mass, you know, in general, yeah. generally speaking. So, but I understand yeah. that. I'm not sure how how that would be overcome, other than. Yeah. Yelling I mean, at we'll, each other. We need to yell at each other more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll be able to d- discuss that more in depth in future episodes for sure. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, I'm always, I'm, I'm fascinated though, how you, how you landed there a little bit. And like you said, we'll talk about it more in other episodes, but um, it's interesting because I never felt like, you know, it was hard for me to put labels on it. It's always been hard for me to put labels on anything because I don't like to be pigeonholed in general into one thing. Um, I don't know why that is about my, it, I think it's maybe speaks to my personality because I like um, unconventional ways of going around things and stuff like that. So um, like for me, some of my personal uh, stuff, you know, uh, for example, is like for eating, I've, uh, you know, and over the years I've, I've kind of grappled with different food issues. Like my, um, you know, both my parents were, are, well, my dad was overweight. My mom is overweight. Uh, and now both my sisters and, and what kind of role that plays. And when I think, you know, when I look into different programs and, and, you know, philosophies on not only just weight loss, but how food connects with your self, you know, I'm, always of the mind to like be extraordinarily skeptical of it. And I feel like I need to go around a thing. It's much, much harder for me to go through it. And sometimes I think that's because maybe the religion thing, because I felt like with religion, it was something very much, uh, it was from childhood on and it was something we had to go through. We didn't really have a choice in it. Um, Looking back, I think um, we just were a part of it. And until we eventually did enough uh, digging for ourselves and kind of dug our way out of it, you know, out of the belly of the beast, uh, so to speak. So um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have some family things as well. Um, You know, most of which I don't think were passed on to me, although, you know, um, you know, no real food issues other than, you know, a basic sugar addiction and, coca-cola addiction you know <laughs> you do love coke <laughs> oh, i do, do you, are you sour gummies i know you really love the sour gummies yeah i throw down on some sour gummies but <laughs> but uh you know these days i try to try to taper and sort of temper my gummy cravings but the coke is still there i gotta be kicking that soon yeah are you even on like coke zero or anything any of the offshoots uh, no I, yeah i've tried the offshoots but they're trash you know you, you can only <laughs> yeah it's, you, get, you just got to do cold turkey quit man That's, yeah and you know what i really hate the Lacroix that's going around it's just like you uh, are not fooling anyone that's bubbly garbage yeah <laughs> what do they call it oh shoot i just forgot um the people who are trying to recover from uh heroin uh damn it i'm losing it with that stuff you know they go to the methadone it's like 
Well, it's not like methadone, but in a sense it is because people are using it to, you know, try to get off the soda, but it's just, it's carbonated and it's just enough. There's just that little hint of the thought, the, you know, of cola is there, but with that none of the sugar and uh, you look cooler drinking it. So, well, I mean, you know what I did try that actually did sort of serve as a substitute? None of those things that you, know, you just talked about, but the, something that was homemade <laughs> that I found... No, no, no. There was a substitute for the Coke. It was basically uh, like uh, sparkling water, ginger, cayenne pepper. Oh, wow. Yeah, that cayenne yeah, pepper, it's... it's got that bite. It's got that, that, first, that first kick. It's like when you go, you swing through McDonald's and you get that Coke and you take that first rip, right? Mm -hmm. It's got that bite that just really gives you that fix. Nice. So that cayenne pepper almost gives you that. So that's just a little... Little pro tip for anybody else trying to kick the habit out there. Yeah, that's a tough one. I for me, so it's weird. Soda never grabbed me, and I'm really surprised because I had this aunt who had this. Uh, I would always we'd always go to her house during the summers, and she had a mini fridge loaded with soda, and I just went nuts on that thing because we didn't have any <laughs> we didn't have any soda in the house. Like for some reason. As, you know, uh, terrible, uh, all the crap food that we had in the house, like sugar cereal or just a lot of frozen food, we never had soda. And um, I don't know, I guess I, I think I dodged a bullet there because I don't, and, yep. but you know, I drank it for so long and I think everybody did. I mean, every, all the years working service jobs and everything, I, I drank it and, um, okay. but I don't crave it. I don't know why it's weird, but yeah, I mean, well, I was of just going to say. It's yeah. probably because you didn't ever have the opportunity to develop habit, but mm -hmm. you know, if you did have that opportunity working at restaurants, right? If you're drinking it all the time, most shifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's, that's what I think. That's like, I, I'd had the time, but it never quite stuck. I don't know. I just, maybe I just thought that I was already eating a lot of crap. So I don't want to add to it. The same reason I don't, you know, smoke or drink. It's like, all right. I'm already fighting uphill battle here with the weight and the food. It's like, I do not need <laughs> another thing. Um, so. Yeah. Well, good for you. I'm glad you didn't pick that one up too. Yeah. But speaking of, I segueing a little bit uh, into drugs because, you know, uh, drugs of choice. I know that's something you're really interested in. Um, and you're interested, it's from previous conversations we've had, you're kind of interested because you feel like it'll expand your mind, which is definitely, um, it's a very cliched thing, I'll say, but it's also, um, we're finding out scientifically, there's a lot of, of bang for your buck, so to speak. So if you could speak on that a little. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm not um, interested in drugs, uh, broadly speaking. And, you know, I have a super limited ex experience with drugs in general, um, other than, you know, alcohol and marijuana, which, you know, alcohol is a great social thing for me, but, you know, I, I don't ever drink it solo. And it's kind of same thing with marijuana, only very few uh, experiences with that. But what I'm really interested in are psychedelics, you know, the, the psychoactive substances that, like you said, help you expand your mind, break through in a sense. I'm not really looking for a high of any kind, not looking to, you know, um, I'm not looking for a thrill or for a, a, like an emotional feeling. I'm really just looking for that, that next step of consciousness, you know, that, uh, so some of the things we've talked about in previous conversations would be like ayahuasca, psilocybin mushrooms, 
maybe LSD. I'm super interested in those things. And, you know, hopefully we'll get the opportunity to, you know, maybe um, experience them, whether together or separate, and then sort of uh, report our experiences here. I think there's going to be a lot of value there if we get around to, to tackling that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm, I'm all aboard. And I agree too. And I'm sorry to preface it like, uh, you know, drugs in general, because, um, and we, we've talked about this a little, there's obviously drugs that we know will uh, override pretty much everything in our brain and tell us, hey, you're going to want this all the time. Uh, and you're going to want to sacrifice everything for it. Um, you know, and that maybe, but, yeah, certain maybe, drugs, yeah, yeah, and certain drugs and certain people too, because me and you can both try heroin, for example, and one of us would be hooked on it, and maybe the other one would just be like, I felt sick, and I never want to really do that again. Sure. Um, so, but uh, yeah, um, I'm interested really for me, it's it's just the experience. I'm, I'm at this point in my life, I know, for, I mean, for a long time, given the Christian upbringing, uh, keeping your body as a temple, um, you know, which, you know, I have issue with that, but, uh, just the idea that you would, you would enter the substances into your body and alter your states and just, just the general Christian boogeyman, I guess, kept me away from it. Um, The taboo is really a sad thing, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. it's really limiting. Uh, well, I think it's damaging in a lot of ways, but, but actually for you, you know, you've chosen to have uh, limited interaction with drugs as well, e- even as far as you to this day have not had a drop of alcohol, correct? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I wish I could say no drops. I mean, there's there's been times, you know, my dad was like, taste this, and, you know, oh, you're a kid. Okay. And, you know, which I, I, I don't know if I don't really count that. The only other time I can think of is I think I had a girlfriend who was like, who really just would not go. She was on and on and on about it. And, and um, I took a sip of wine or something like that. And it was the same thing. It was just nasty grape juice, you know? And uh, <laughs> So, you know, I mean, yeah, I've never had, um, for me, it kind of began because I had a grandfather who was an alcoholic and, you know, that started a whole, this whole terrible like line of, of um, just bad behavior, I guess, uh, really bad mm-hmm. behavior that kind of played out with my dad a little bit and he, he never drank, but you know, I think anybody, any, uh, son of an alcoholic knows, um, that, uh, or son, son of alcoholic knows that you don't need to necessarily to have drank to get all that behavior. You can just, uh, find other ways to act that way. Um, um, but, but yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I, it began that way and it began, you know, the Christian boogeyman once again, came into play and but uh after a while and especially after the 20s after the after everybody started to kind of part and you know get married and and move on it just became more of a health thing and and then right now it's just more of a well I never really started so um so there's I don't really have any driver interest it's not a health thing it's not really anything so which is uh interesting I guess yeah that's totally respectable with all that said though you know, we have a mutual friend who's uh, starting a brewery and sort of a pledge you've made is that the, the first real beer you've ever drank will be his beer yeah. and it's going to be special and meaningful. <laughs> That's true. And by default, the best beer I've ever drank. Absolutely. Be the only one. So you can put that in quotes. That's beautiful. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, maybe we can get him on here and you, you can talk about your experience, like what, you know, whether you liked it or not, you know, whether you felt the buzz and what it was like, and then he can, you know, maybe talk a little bit about what it's like starting a brewery. I think that'd be a fun podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Ramshackle Brewing Company, in case anybody's interested, check it out. Um, it's, it's, uh, up and coming. Hopefully I think they're going to be open around August, but that date is tentative and, and shifting, but, uh, they'll definitely be open sooner than later. So, um, but yeah, uh, what else, what else can we talk about here? Uh, well, while it's fresh, I, I have another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started talking a little bit about China's social crediting system. You know, it's kind of a little bit hot in the news right now, how some of the mm-hmm. early phases are being rolled out and, you know, some of the impacts that's having. And, you know, we, we got into some Orwellian discussion, you know, about how scary it is. Um, mm-hmm. And then you recommended that I watch uh, the episode Nosedive from Black Mirror on Netflix. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I did. I did. And yes. I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I, okay. I think it was a super well done episode. So for anyone listening, <laughs> Nosedive. Black yeah. Mirror on Netflix. And most Black Mirrors, I'll say, they're not all great, but man, especially the early yeah, seasons, yeah. oh man, A++. Yeah, so. but this one in particular, um, it was super well done. I, I think they did a really good job of capturing sort of the nuance of what a social crediting system, how it would come into being here in the West. You know, very social media oriented. Everyone, everyone cares about, you know, sort of their their likes essentially even though you know they're giving star ratings um i just thought it was super interesting and i you you sort of started seeing it materialize now maybe a little bit more before facebook started to go downhill but but even now you you know especially in the younger crowd you see such a strong focus on this this online almost avatar presence and what other people think about the things that you're portraying through this avatar Mm -hmm. and i thought it was really cool how the episode was put together um you know it was very well acted you know even like the the little things that you know you wouldn't necessarily think of if you were the one writing the episode where you know even hand gestures you know basic things like the middle finger are replaced (laughs) with like a swiping motion you know (laughs) i thought it was fantastic there's this great, uh, sometimes that could remind me a little of Demolition Man where, you know, Sylvester Stallone's cussing and they like, we, there's something prints out from the wall and says, you know, you, that's one demerit or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, one social credit, negative <laughs> one social credit, but, um, which that movie is basically a prophecy. Um, Absolutely. so everybody should watch it. Um, the three seashells are coming folks. Um, but yeah, that that episode in particular really was one of the the ones that stuck with me the most, um, because I think in a lot of ways I, I, we're definitely not to that level of personhood. You know, we're not like to the the person the P to P basically rating systems. But for all intents and purposes, I think the social currency uh, that that people have through their social media. Um, that companies have through, you know, ratings of their goods and services. Um, you think of places like Yelp and, and stuff like that. It's really relevant. I mean, how, how good you look online and, um, how, how to maintain that and how to not tank that. And, and sometimes, you know, depending on the hackers skills and, and people paying for, um, hijacking things, you, you know, you can get situations where, you, somebody can tank your social currency and, and it's really hard to recover from that. 
So, oh, absolutely. You know, I think there's a part of all of us who who sort of likes that pseudo security of social ranking. You know, because we're using it now extensively with businesses, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, who who doesn't you know say, okay, Google restaurants near me. And they start, you know, if they're looking for something non-franchise or non-chain, you know, they're they're looking at the, the ratings and the stars. You know, they're looking to see sort of how other people have ranked it. It's a really easy way to, you know, to vet a new restaurant or any business, really. So it's not too much of a stretch to translate that to individuals, right? So mm -hmm. you sort of know by meeting someone if they're trustworthy is really what it comes down to. And, and I... For myself, I think at its core, that's a really cool concept, but the way it, it would inevitably play out, its outcome is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I pulled up just now on Wikipedia some of the implications for citizens on this uh, this social credit system in China. I mean, here, mm -hmm. here's just a couple of the things that uh, people are going to have to deal with if they find themselves with low rankings. You've got a travel ban, which is an obvious one that they, it would come to fruition Exclusion from certain schools, uh, repression of religious minorities. Uh, they use it as debt collection, um, and then obviously social status. You know, if you have low rankings, people are going to be less likely to, likely to associate with you. Uh, that's just a few things. I mean, it's terrifying for lots and lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really to me, it's like the end of the line when it comes to uh, like the Orwellian state and um to me that you know i know we talked earlier about political things um but that for me is a huge huge issue which i think is um you know for i can't it's hard for me to pin whether you know um uh, privacy is a right or left issue um i just think it's ignored overall and our our eagerness to give up privacy for for social currency or uh, or status or whatever you'd call it so, um, yeah, I, privacy, I mean, as long as it's consensual, you know, privacy can basically fall on a spectrum, but it, what's scariest for me, it, uh, and one of the big reasons I'm a libertarian is how much control it gives governments, you know, the, the ability to police you by thought, basically, it's a sort of like pre-crime, right? If they can get you, instead of the government policing you, they get you to police yourself because you're worried about, you know, these rankings and every little demerit that could be coming your way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I would just say that I feel like it's equal, it's equal opportunity. I think companies could do the same thing. Um, you know, not obviously because it's uh, right now companies are largely decentralized, but you know, that's always changing, uh, for more monopolies and more consolidation. Um, but you're, but yeah, government definitely has, uh, right now has the could have the market on something like that so yeah well that i mean that points to one usefulness of government um you know because you know the word on the street is that google's about to get hit with some of the antitrust nerf bat you know mm -hmm. where they're they're getting so big like microsoft did in the 90s right where yeah. the people i mean especially the government bureaucrats are they're just getting thirsty they're getting a little bit rabid they want to tear the thing down which you know, for all the good and bad it does, it does sort of rein in, at least on the private side, some of the abuses that a company like Google would be capable of due to sheer, to sheer size, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean they uh, they did they did in the '90s, from what I remember. They they actually were successful in some of those uh, for Microsoft. It was a little more cut and dry because it's like, all right, you guys are putting, uh, you're basically making it impossible to download Netscape, <laughs> you know, and they had to change some some software and open the market a bit. But um, I just hope it's there's an effectiveness to it, and um, and I'm glad we kind of agree. It sounds like. Uh, on on the government but has potential to be effective on this issue um, and they're kind of the only well I don't want to say the only way I mean certainly companies could somehow govern themselves but you know there's no real incentive for them to do that because it, uh, their incentive is to make profit so it has to be you know a, this bottom line thing um, yeah, but why well, ideally it would be it would be people the individuals who ran that in just you know by boycott basically or or maybe not so extreme but Mm -hmm. you know once reasonable intelligent individuals realize a company's become too big or have been given too much control or gained too much uh you know market share that uh you know they may begin to take their business elsewhere kind of like what i've done with walmart i haven't shopped at a walmart in over 10 years not because i hate walmart but because for a while there you know they were becoming an untamable beast Mm-hmm. You know, and they still are to a degree, but at least now mm-hmm. there are equally large beasts. You know? Yeah, yeah. That I was gonna well, say, there's just more beasts now. So Amazon and uh, I guess just mainly Amazon is the biggest one, I guess. Yeah, I'm about to transfer a boycott to Amazon too because mm-hmm. I, you know, again, I love Amazon. I love that convenience, but I hate the damage that it does to everything in its path. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not even because Walmart went for the mom and pops. Amazon is kind of going for all the niche stuff that you could only mm-hmm. get at, at obvious niche places. So, and that's uh, it's tough because yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm more or less in the boycott Amazon boat. I I only order there, I think for school books because it's kind of the only place I can get textbooks. But other than that, I'm I'm all about that eBay and finding those random sellers. That uh, mm-hmm. maybe you'll get your stuff, maybe you won't. Um, <laughs> you know, it was five dollars, so who cares? You know, it's a headphone jack that you're missing, or some little doodad that you need. Um, well, that kind of makes me sad too. I feel like eBay has tried to uh, emulate Amazon too much. You know, I used to really love eBay for its, uh, you know, for what it used to be. Not not because it was auctions, but because it was, you know usually individuals a heck of a lot of used stuff right Mm -hmm. um but now i feel like they're shifting and trying to compete directly with amazon you know they've got all these new product sellers on there and you know it's sort of a pay-to-play battleground you know i i don't know ebay's making me sad lately that's yeah no it's they've been pretty rough and for a long time um i think they made some changes to their seller policies and things like that that made it really hard um, or like you couldn't give negative, you can't give negative reviews if you're a, a buyer or something like that. You can't get negative reviews, reviews I think, if you're a buyer. That's um, what it is, yep. Yeah, that's a huge one, um, which I don't know. I'm sure there's financial reasons or some other reasons they decided to do that. But uh, yeah. Well, it didn't ju- used to be that it was such just a shopping place, right? It used to be like uh, almost like a, a community or a forum where you sort of start to get a reputation based on your rating because you've, you know, you've interacted so well with the other people, you know, in the community. And I, I don't know. I just, it used to feel different. It used to feel mm-hmm. good to shop there. It no longer does. 
Yeah. Yeah. And even, I mean, cause it was like 80, 20 auctions versus buy it now stuff. And now it's reversed pretty much. And, um, yeah, yeah. It's just hard to know what you're, you're getting. Um, even so much, even more, and their search is still kind of crappy. Um, their interface is kind of wonky and on Amazon's isn't any better for sure. But, um, you know, every, uh, what I hate about Amazon is their long ass titles, you know, for like, it can't just be a headphone jack. It's like headphone jack, super slim black cord, you know, just put all these <laughs> things in the title for search, better search results or some to help the algorithm out. I know there's some reason like that for it, but, um, for sure. But yeah, it's just, it's really hard. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I try to be in the, if I can help it to buy American when I can, um, either North American or South American, Canadian, um, to keep it within that kind of trade agreement. Um, and quality too. I mean, honestly, there's, I've seldom bought anything American that's well, North American, that's been bad quality. Um, but I just know at the end of the day, and I, I've told this to many cashiers at Walmart and Target, at the end of the day, it's going to be some guy in some small town sitting on a chair, maybe standing up. Hopefully he's got some music on and he's uh, putting this thing together for eight hours a day, hopefully making a little more than eight, $8 an hour. And uh, that's who gave me this thing. And I'm buying it from this large store. And uh, it's the great circle of life. It kind of stays somewhat local you know yeah i appreciate that so that i i think again that seems like that'd be a bipartisan thing um it's hard to say though i think when it comes there's another uh subject commerce i think that's that can that really has no crusader um you know so Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right it's hard to, I guess it's just hard to politicize things that we, it's harder, I should say, to politicize things that aren't, you know, necessarily shocking or, or immediately threatening to rights, you know? Yeah. So, or fresh in the news for whatever reason. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, indeed. All right. Well, uh, we could probably look at wrapping it up here unless you have any final thoughts you want to slide in. Um, I can't think of anything. I mean, I'm just, I'm just happy to be doing something with you. Um, and you know, just, just something that's creative, something that's, you know, involves a little bit of, um, you know, time, energy and effort, um, that can, can hopefully just, you know, be something, even if it's just a little tiny, itty bitty, teeny weeny something, I'm okay <laughs> with that always. Um, and just being able to, to really try to flesh out some of the thoughts and ideas that I have and, and just to be able to not, cause sometimes I feel like, you know, uh, cause I'm in a very liberal area, a very progressive area. Um, it was interesting when, uh, so <laughs> a little quick anecdote in 2008, I lived in uh, Indiana, and when Obama got elected, I mean, people were devastated. I mean, it was a somber day. I remember I, wa I was into work, and people were like, oh, I can't believe this. Our country's going to hell. And I think there might have been a couple people who cried. So fast forward to when Trump got elected, and um, here in Orlando, and it's the same attitude. Like it was, it, you could have, like somebody died. And there yeah, definitely were people funny. who cried. And so it's just like that to me was really revealing of 
how you know how people are affected by this stuff you know it does get at them at an emotional level um and to me that emotional level is what i care the most about it's less about the teams and more about you know how we can uh how we can come to some kind of consensus some kind of middle ground i i you know being a centrist i feel like things are found somewhere in the compromise you know we've we we are a nation of compromise and we continue to be or we should, hopefully will continue to be so um but i'm just glad to have an opportunity to to flesh out all these ideas and and have some fun doing it so. yeah i'd echo that i'm i'm looking forward to a lot of good discussion a lot of you know very pointed discussion on some of these topics and you know some sharing of experiences hopefully we can get some more people um on this podcast with us and we can have uh you know a broader range of experience to draw from um yeah i'm i'm really excited equally excited yeah for sure well on that note i guess uh we'll say bon voyage and um have a great uh great day or night depending on when you're listening to this and uh stay tuned for for more podcasts from Things We Think About with Kenny and Aaron. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find more Things We Think About discussion on Reddit at r slash Things We Think About. If you're interested in contributing to the show, our Patreon information is available in the description of the podcast, as well as on any of our YouTube videos.